0: to Dark Habits and Amodavar Podcast. Uh, I'm Spencer and there's no Joel this episode. Uh, but, if you want to hear his thoughts on this movie, we Rick, we uh, did an episode on Matador, the Amodavar film, on his old show, I think it's been three years. Or, I think it's been three years since the episode. So, um, there uh, uh and the feed is still available on all the podcast places if you want to hear it it's more it's gonna be definitely more goofy because that show is more like um fuck around like let's make jokes the whole time type of type of vibe but uh yeah so we i have my uh another j-dog i guess replacement j-dog armenio hey been on, <laughs> he's been on a show enough it's like yeah he's basically like uh, a third wheel. I get, Is that a good expression? I don't know. That's
1: not a very nice thing to say, no. Story of my life.
0: <laughs> he
2: is,
1: he's a, the The also-ran.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he's kind of become like the... I don't know, like a unofficial third host at this point.
2: Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're in a very uh, exclusive club with a couple other people. And... um. Also join me is from the prestigious Projection Booth podcast, Mr. Mike White.
1: Thank you so much for having me, I appreciate it.
0: Welcome. And uh uh I want to note for our listeners, uh we're using cast for recording and Mike's uh screen screen name on this one is Miguel Blanco. See si. I, I appreciate the It's better done.
1: C si. all
0: right, so um this is Matador, the Amotivar film. This was the first one I ever saw. I'll get into the story of why I watched it in a second, but um, Arminio, I know you've seen a couple of Amotivars. Have you seen this one already?
2: Uh, no, this is one was new to me for the podcast. And what's been exciting about watching his filmography, especially so out of order, is that uh, I never know what to expect. Um, I'm always anticipating the curve balls, uh, a curveballs a curveball and he never disappoints
0: okay and uh, Mike, had you seen this movie before?
1: I don't think I have. I went through a period of time in the early nineties where I watched a lot of uh, Almodovar films. Um, I worked at a video store at a blockbuster um, just outside of Ann Arbor. And for whatever reason, they had a lot of his films and I would rent those or, you know, you don't have to rent if you're an employee. I would take those home at night and oddly enough, I would sit and watch them with my, I guess, nine or ten fellow heterosexual roommates. And we just sat there and watched these Almodovar films. Nobody seemed to blanch at all with all the homosexual content, which was pretty nice for a bunch of White dudes in the early nineties to not freak out about that. So I don't think that I saw this one originally during that run. And then, of course, since then, I've caught up with some of his other stuff. But I kind of quit watching Moldovar, uh or Almodovar. Right around Kiki Kika, Kika. Um, something um, about that one just bothered me so much that I just swarm off for a little while. It doesn't work as a movie. That's a <laughs>
0: uh i've I've gone records like that's my least favorite one by far
1: oh, well just... i'm glad that uh I was in the right on that
0: one then <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a connection to Kika in Matador that uh is kind of hidden if you don't know to look for it
1: um i I will take your word for it, and hopefully I will hear what that is
0: okay um Armenia have you seen kika yet
1: I have
2: not no i I gather um I'm in for an experience. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, Have you seen The Sky Living? Yes. There's a similar scene in that one where a certain thing is played as a joke and goes on for a long time. Uh-huh. But it goes on for a long time and the joke is stretched out and stretched out and stretched out and it's like, can this fucking end already?
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a especially after seeing you know this movie he has a strange relationship in his movies with sexual assault. Mm. yeah it's, it's often a joke
0: yeah it's it's a strange thing where it's um i guess like the, for like usually for the mobar so far i haven't had to do like a like i don't i don't want to say content warning because that feels uh, weird. But like, I guess like trigger warning, content warning. Like, it's this one will get into some dark subject matter around sexual assault, and if that is um something that you don't want to hear about, don't watch the movie. And its just you. It's probably best not to listen to us talk about this movie because it's kind of integral to certain parts of the movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So um. Yeah, because, like, when I... Uh, Well, first off, um, uh, Mike, uh, you are the, uh, I guess, least familiar. uh, No, no, no. I'm you are. So, Neil. what is Matador even about?
2: Uh, Matador is about um, a titular matador who was wounded in the bullfighting ring and has since become obsessed with death. Uh, watching it and getting sexual gratification from it. And the various hangers-on who are also obsessed with him, which includes Antonio Banderas' character Angel, who's a sexually confused psychic, (laughs) Um, and Maria, who is another character obsessed with death, who also gets sexual gratification from it, but she is going around um, killing men in an attempt to sort of um, get into the spirit of what a matador experiences when he kills a bull, and the, the, the subsequent and the plot involves a subsequent investigation of the various murders that we see occur on screen.
0: All right, that's uh, very succinct. Right. So, um, uh, first off, before I forget, trans rights are human rights. Uh, learn what's happening locally. Get involved. Vote. Uh, talk to politicians, talk to people. You know, just don't be ignorant about what's going on in your area because what happens locally and at state level affects you more directly than what happens on a federal level. So it's kind of important to know what's, what, know what's happening.
2: And, um, you know, just to piggyback onto that, Like, I live in central Pennsylvania, which isn't exactly a, a bastion of liberal thought but i mean there's going to be a halloween themed drag show um in my town so like if that if that can happen here that means there's communities of of trans people or or queer people you know trying to to live the best life everywhere so you know just uh keep an eye out and your ears open for in your local communities
0: yeah, I'm lucky to live in Delaware, where things are st- still pretty safe, pretty okay for the most part. But you know, it doesn't take—it's place m- to be. <laughs> it doesn't take much to change and get get shittier. But we have uh, Sarah McBride, who is a state um, state c- senator, I think, or representative—I forgot which. But anyway, she's running for U.S. Congress for a house representatives and she is one of one of the first or the first openly trans politician to run for national congress nice good and uh i say our rules uh she's she's only supported so far awesome things for a state that have gone through for the most part some didn't go through but stuff like abortion access and stuff that helps families and children it's crazy if you actually you know do things that help people people uh, you know might vote for you
2: astounding my congressman is Scott Perry a legit traitor (laughs) (laughs) and everything else that goes
1: along with that the fucking worst yeah uh, where was he on Jan 6 um, I know exactly where the fuck he was (laughs) and
2: I and he so he should be in jail oh boy Yep. Ugh,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, since we're on this note, also, fuck Chris Coons. He's a Democrat senator from Delaware. He's like a, just a super corporate moderate Democrat. He sucks. And he, he posted today, but deleted. Happy Columbus <laughs> Day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Yeah, Chris Coons is the fucking worst, but he's retiring. Uh, after this, after his uh, current thing is over, which, thank fucking god, he's trash.
2: Anyway. If he gets somebody better. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we should, hopefully. Uh, But, I I really hope she actually gets voted in, but there's no guarantee she will. Okay, so, uh, Matador, uh, Pedro Modavar. Okay, this movie I first heard of uh, I got into it before, but, like, Emotivar was a name I kind of vaguely I'd seen and heard uh, sporadically. And then, uh, on the Daughters of Darkness podcast, Sam and Kat uh, did an episode on uh, Matador and Sky 11. And so I listened for five minutes and I realized, oh, I actually want to watch these movies. And so I watched um, Matador and you know this like oh maybe this emotiver guy isn't just like like oscar-y type bullshit (laughs) because up until then i only heard his name in talks of like uh um all about my mother winning an oscar so i thought it'd be like boring oscar bait nonsense and then i actually watched his watch the movie and realized oh this guy is actually interesting and doesn't do like generic lame oscar shit (laughs) So, um, Samadar so is one I've seen the most. And it's probably like fifth time I've seen it. It's just like, I guess, almost a comfort watch. Because it's just, like, this, it just makes me feel good. And I just like the the weird, like, uh, all of our dark comedy, melodrama stuff. I like seeing uh, Baby uh, Banderas um, <laughs> before he's, you know, figured out how to be a movie star. Uh, yeah. So um, we're, uh, okay. We got to start talking about politics for a second. I forgot <laughs> where, where we were going.
2: <laughs> but you know, it's it's so interesting. You know, like the the more I watch a Moldovar films, the more um I'm drawn to Antuna Banderas as a performer. Just because you know, I grew up with him you know with this image of as zorro or as uh, as desperado like this you know international extraordinarily confident sex symbol and then to see him like just experiment with his persona at an early age in these Omudovar films especially as angel this like sexually inexperienced insecure I- incompetent um Guy who's, you know, going through, like, this mental health crisis, it, it just, you know, makes me respect him as an actor. You know, especially going from this all the way to um, Strange Way of Life.
1: It's just such a journey. I almost thought you were going to go to Puss in Boots. <laughs> that, too. Yeah, he is so incompetent in this movie when he does try to sexually assault this woman and uses a swiss army knife and he pulls out the corkscrew first it's like okay great you're definitely very far away from the cool black glove killer that we saw in the blood and black lace clips that uh, your mentor was watching earlier and jerking off to i really love how he just starts off this movie with all of this carnage from the baba film and has our one of our main characters just jerking it in front of that TV. And the way that they kind of hide it at first a little. And I'm like, is he doing what I think he's doing? And yeah, uh, they don't make any bones about it. Pun intended. Um, once we get a little farther on. And I like the structure of this film. I think that they did a really good job not handing us everything. I mean, we don't even know that Angel or Angel has this horrible reaction to blood until about 15 minutes in whereas if this was a modern American film it feels like they would hand that to us within the first five minutes like Mm. oh he can't stand the sight of blood like even just the character saying that because when he faints dead away I'm like what what is going on what happened why did he do that and it takes a little while before I realize that he was fainting because of the sight of blood which seems like going to bullfighting school is a really bad move.
0: Yeah, uh, like one thing that I always think of with this is, this is clearly about, first off, it's clearly about toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. And it reminds me, kind of, makes me think of like Taxi Driver uh, in certain ways where like it feels like what if, um, kind of like, A variation of what if Wizard and Taxi Driver were like kind of was like Travis's teacher and was guiding him, but like Wizard wasn't cool and chill. He was, um, at least I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I remember Wizard kind of being like the rational one.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's as racist as Travis is, but um, yeah, he definitely offers uh, some good advice.
0: Yeah, it feels like. The, the the titular matador is like an evil version of of wizard almost. Yeah, and he's like he's guiding this like younger person, and although like he's not like that bad of a person, because there's a point when he asks um Angel like, "Are you gay?" and Angel reacts very violently. And but the way he asks isn't like doesn't feel judgmental. just feels like a genuine question of like, "It's okay if you are." Like I I'm I curious because mm-hmm. it just you know because like it's clear he doesn't like understand um like 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 love and sex at all based off the yeah. way he's talking about it
1: i oh.
2: wonder if that's a bit of a red herring that omelda is throwing at us because so in that moment we see him being like empathetic and understanding and so it, it's It's more of a shock when he gets to be more and more violent and and manipulative and perverse as the movie goes on. Because, you know, we're not introduced to him as a judgmental homophobe.
1: We're introduced to him as this kind of caring mentor. Yeah, and it's interesting that he's the father figure and then you get to see the real mother (laughs) and that she has kept angel under her thumb all of these years and just filled him with all this religious nonsense i mean from what i understand he's supposed to be part of what is it opus day his family is and so they're like big time catholics and she just rails against everything just tries to keep him in line as much as she can so no wonder he has no idea what's going on with anything
2: yeah, I think um, I think Eva's mom is is definitely passive aggressive and oh, yeah. ve- very controlling, but Angel's mom is a straight up like iron fist dictator, and you know manipulating her son and g- guilt tripping him in some really obviously damaging ways. Like he's he's an incomplete person because of how much she she controls him. Uh, um, you know to the point of. Dictating when and how he, he's supposed to go to confession. Um, right. Which is a thing that, like, Catholic parents do to their eight year olds. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Sunday.
1: Time to go to confession after church. Don't try to get out of it. Yeah. I love wow. the way she's introduced with that kind of block, glass block door for the bathroom mm-hmm. when he's so guilt ridden after the sexual assault. And sitting on the tub and then you get to see her and just how distorted she is and she doesn't yeah. even look like a a real person it looks almost computer animated i know it's not obviously this 1986 it's just the trick of the the glass but it looks great and then you see um this very sexual looking pose of her putting her leg up and pulling her dress or robe back and then she Puts on what I thought was going to be like a garter belt, but no, it's one of those, and I can't remember what they're called. But it's the thing that gives you pain when you're a Catholic, and you just strap it around your thigh, and it bites into your thigh, like um, like Paul Bettany in in um, the uh, uh, um, Da Vinci Code. You know, he had one of those mm-hmm. as well.
2: Yeah. So it, even though it's manifesting in a different way, this is another character who's associating. Like what we as the viewer, with the pose that she's doing, um, are associating like physical pain and violence with sexuality, just because right. of the way she her leg is, is crooked. But, um, but you know, obviously different than the, than the way the uh, Diego the Matador manifests it.
1: It took me a while, so I had to watch this movie a few times because the first time I watched it. I missed a lot and Mm -hmm. I definitely missed how often Angel was having visions because I just wasn't aware. I just, I kind of like that, uh, Almodovar isn't spoon feeding us and isn't giving us things like black and white or blurs around the side or any of these things. When, uh, angels having visions, it is just matter of fact to the point where i'm like oh uh how would he know that how did he know that even the very first murder that we see in the movie not account and not you know counting the the mario bava stuff is um i can't remember the woman's name that uh has the hairpin and she murders another matador i didn't really maria thank you i didn't realize that this vision of Maria was something that uh, Angel was seeing mentally I just thought that it was just happening it just seemed like we we're cutting to that but no it's supposed to be uh, apparently it's supposed to be a vision of his
0: yeah that would that make sense I never even thought about, about that because like I thought the first vision would have been uh, when was it Um, in the police I think it was the police station I don't remember. I like, I didn't really. Uh, my notes are kind of real scattered because like I've seen it seems to enough that like, I didn't take super detailed notes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Going a bit more from, more a memory.
2: The, yeah, I I did. Um, it definitely the first time I watched it. I, I initially just kind of thought that Angel was just hanging around and spying on Diego the whole time and was observing. these murders and that's why he knew where the bodies were buried but but by the time the movie by the time his visions became more explicit then it dawned on me and so things became more clear on my second viewing
1: that kind of makes sense because one of the first times we I mean we see Angel in the Matador class but then later on we see him spying on Ava so Yeah. yeah that he is a voyeur is already set up so yeah I can totally see where you're coming from with that
0: yeah, and, uh, okay, so, uh, the actress who is, um, Maria, um, uh, Assumta, uh, I wrote down weird. I went
2: Assumta Serna.
0: Serna, there you go. Um, she is in the f- first, um, um f- uh, film, Pepe, Lucy, and Boom. And, uh, and she's also in The Craft, which I don't remember her in The Craft at all. Hmm. But I also hate that movie for very <laughs> specific reasons about relating to my time in Catholic school. I won't get hmm. into it. Talking about the black girl character, mm-hmm. uh, her oh, storyline.
1: Okay. But I mean, I if there's anything other than Faruza Balk looking incredibly hot in that movie, I don't remember it.
0: Yeah, it same. was for me. It was triggering. It's like that's all a racist girl gets is she loses her fucking hair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but uh uh surma is also in another bullfighter movie called bullfighter from the year 2000 that just look up the cast and it's a real like what the fuck is this i don't i've never heard anyone talk about this it's just it's so strange it's it's a donnie Wahlberg movie from 2000 (laughs) okay and, del- and uh, Guillermo del Toro is uh, has a cameo in it with Robert Rodriguez.
1: Interesting. Wow. Hmm.
0: I'm sure it's terrible, but...
1: Yeah. Least, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite actor out of everybody in this movie, other than Banderas, who I also love a lot, um, I don't know how you say his name, though. Usuebio Poncella, uh, the guy that plays the cop. I've seen him in a lot of other films like *Arribato* and Intacto. Um, Whenever he shows up, I just get very happy. And so, when we get that nice... He's like framed between Banderas and the... I guess it's his secretary and you see him in the back and then we get that nice shot of Banderas on one side of glass and him on the other. And you get the reflections of each other and they kind of match for a second, which was kind of nice. And I like that he I always just seems very bemused by all of this especially as uh, Banderas or sorry angel is confessing to these other crimes It's just like mm, yeah I don't really believe you It's like try to convince me better of that please.
0: yeah and, and uh, uh, oh, Mike I don't know if you know to look for this but Almovar's um, brother August uh, Augustine. Always has a cam. Usually has a cameo in a lot of the movies. Mm. He looks like Pedro with less hair. That's kind of the giveaway. And he's one of the cops.
1: Oh, okay. He's one of the cops. Okay.
0: Yeah. Usually, like in the newer ones, he's uh, a bald guy with the with the face. But uh, he always shows up in like in little parts.
1: Okay. And then yeah, El himself is in this, uh, right? Like yeah. Okay. I thought that was him, and I didn't look it up. It is
2: in... I don't know what's going on with his hair. <laughs> it's
1: pretty wild. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
2: um,
0: always been crazy, though.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is... I mean, it's, a, it's appropriate that he's a fashion designer in this movie... Because um, I just have to shout out the costume designer, uh, Jose Maria de Casio, who's done several our movies, but there are some fantastic <coughs> looks in this oh, movie, yeah. um, especially Eva's look at the at the fashion show. Because you know earlier, because of her assault, she fell in the in the street and has a cut on her face, so they like cover it by painting blood on her face streaming down and put her in this gorgeous red outfit and it just like it looks amazing and she has another outfit later where she her mother says you look dead and her response is good <laughs> and she looks amazing there and like all the outfits
1: um, it, it, everybody's killer in, in this movie Oh, and the red, you mentioned that. And so many people dressed in red in this movie. I think Banderas is in red through most of it. And then, um, of course, you've got the red cape of the matador. But, yeah, there's a lot of other people that are dressed in red throughout this whole thing. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so the, uh, I'm going to get, uh, before I forget, the uh, Kika connection is the news reporter who you see briefly in one scene is uh, Kika from the Titter movie Kika. Oh, okay. Well, it's, not, well, it's a character Kika, I should clarify, because Moravar um, likes to throw in, like... <clears throat> a thing he does sometimes with some movies is uh, he'll throw in, like, a random character or, like, a poster or something, and then, like, a decade later, like, uh, there'll be a movie with that character or, the, or in case of Parallel Mothers parallel mothers is a poster and uh which movie is it it shows up in like a 90s one i think or early 2000s one as a poster on a wall that you see and it's like a little like um pixar uh easter egg Uh for the future nice
1: (laughs) yeah i i really appreciate the way that he will play with those things. And I really, I'm trying to remember where I read it because I, I I read a bunch of books about Omeldovar while I was doing research on this. And there was one story about how this movie started off about, it was like this dwarf actress and this director. And then somewhere along there, a bullfighter character was introduced and it's like, Oh, I really like this bullfighter character. And knowing him he might come back to those other characters later on but just the way that his mind works is he's, he's like no i like this bullfighter guy better and i'm just going to stick with him and make the whole movie about this guy instead yeah
2: and yeah you know, i think he just as a filmmaker because he is preoccupied with themes mm-hmm. like you know like women in authority and, and mother figures and toxic masculinity but he'll approach those through, you know, this or Dark Habits or The Skin I Live In, which are, like, tonally and plot and character-wise, totally different movies, even if he's sort of exploring similar territory. So I can see how he would, you know, go back to older characters and ideas while he's moving his career forward.
0: Yeah, um... So some that stuck through like this will show like cause we're we're gonna do a couple Hitchcock episodes later on, in the in the for this season, and this shows how much I just don't know Hitchcock. I didn't pick up on like the kind of like Hitchcock um homages, uh, in this until this in this view and it was like oh this is kind of his take on the Hitchcock movies kind of sort of.
1: Mhm. Yeah. I this might sound bad, but I was getting more the um, Palma vibes than I was Hitchcock vibes while I was watching this. Could be just he's because it's kind of so of his, pervy. Yeah, pervy and the color photography. I mean, yeah, it's very, very pervy. I mean, when Diego, when we see him having sex with Ava the first time, it's like, is she even awake? And then he's whispering, like, pretend that you're dead just lay here, and just having sex with a corpse, basically. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is really going to be a twisted film. So that reminded me more of, uh, I mean, because Hitchcock was a pervert and a half, but he couldn't put all that stuff in his movies where De Palma could.
0: Yeah, although yeah. A, a thought experiment I like to do sometimes is, would Hitchcock have gone De Palma if he if he lived longer and kept making movies, or would he have gone like more like, like, softer. Because I feel like he would have gone just, like, full De Palma and, like, gone, like, full, like, pervert if he had the opportunity and chance.
1: Yeah, looking at Frenzy, I would agree with you. Yeah, I would say so.
2: Yeah, because I, I think, you know, ha- um, having sex with or making him pretend to be a corpse is very much, like, the subtext of vertigo. Oh, yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would think that uh, Hitchcock would explore all that stuff, and uh, and I think, just as a human being, you know, he would have preferred his actresses to be as um, as self actualized as a corpse. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, Just do what I say. A unsentient mound of flesh.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. All right, so uh one thing we kind of talked about a little bit that I want to get you guys opinion on is does the psychic uh, with the, the psychic powers thing does that does that even matter or is you're doing this or do you think it's like a fun little subplot to throw into a crazy movie
1: I think Both? You could, yeah I feel like you could write it out and it wouldn't be too difficult but i like that it's there i especially like right towards the end when the psychic power seems to be at its most when he's hearing the conversations that are going on right at that time and telegraphing them back to the women in the car and it feels like angel is saying the words himself rather than parroting diego and it's interesting to see the reaction of the women when they hear these words coming out of his mouth
0: and i i
2: i I like it just because you know being an american that would be the plot of you know a a forgotten showtime movie of the week from this era right um but instead it's a subplot in this art film from spain i think that's kind of (laughs) cool
1: Well, it reminds me a little, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that he's watching Blood and Black Lace at the beginning, yeah. because it so reminds me of a Giallo type of thing.
0: Oh, yeah, I was going to ask, is this an erotic thriller slash Giallo?
1: Possibly.
0: And or I mean, Giallo.
1: There are definitely some erotic scenes, but... It doesn't feel as the eroticism doesn't feel as mandated as the erotic thrillers. You know, it wasn't like, okay, we got to have like four sex scenes within the first 45 minutes or something like that. I mean, the sex scenes are pretty sexy, especially the one at the beginning when she murders the guy with the pin, which is mm-hmm. that like a G clef on that pin? I couldn't really make it out.
0: I think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a musical okay uh, homage of of some sort so between that and then the end sex scene i mean those are both pretty good but there's not a ton in between
0: um no but it it's on of our so there's like the vibe of like oh yeah well, they're going someone's going to fuck again you know it's going to happen
2: yeah <laughs> and um and even though uh, there is giallo levels of um, sexual assault in in the movie. Um, I wouldn't call it a giallo because there are moments of female pleasure in the movie, which giallos are generally not concerned with.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good point.
2: Yeah. And, and there's no, like, mystery about who the killer is, which is very typical of, of a giallo.
0: Yeah. So, uh I guess we got into the thorny stuff now the uh so like the the, the opening sexual assault which uh which uh, like I, I Joel uh, is better at articulating this but like for some somehow Modvar makes like sexual assault in movies not it, it feels gross but doesn't feel like gross in a way like a Death Witch movie makes it feel gross mmm
2: so, I think we have to get into the mechanics of, of this. Yeah. Um, because, like, Angel tries to rape Eva in an alley. And they're neighbors, so they know each other. Um, but he, like, before he penetrates her, he prematurely ejaculates.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and so this is played as if not comedy at least as absurd um, and so for me what's more disturbing throughout the film is that and and this starts initially like Eva like stumbles in the mud and cuts her face so it's not the assault that is you know that takes away her dignity it's the way that people treat her afterwards that oh well well because you know he didn't penetrate you it's not rape and that um you know like diego who's eva's boyfriend says it's no big deal and um like um eva's mother says well if you go out dressed like that no wonder you get raped cool. as like it's this litany of of humiliation and you know like no wonder she doesn't want to have anything to do with the cops after after her assault it's just because she knows that she's just going to be not believed and and disrespected
1: Yeah I mean obviously it's another era but it's also another country and it's a country yeah. where things are pretty different um, I mean, it's very, very Catholic. Obviously, it runs through this whole movie. Um, but, yeah, I, it was a, a strange assault. And it feels like he's playing it for laughs a little bit and the way that yeah. the rain starts right about the time that he prematurely ejaculates. I thought that was a little comment on things.
0: Yeah, I think it's like when, when you get the first lightning flash is when it's over.
1: Yeah. And you get that callback of the rain when you see him dealing with this later on just the next scene where it's, I guess it's the shower behind him and you see it reflected in the mirror and it almost feels like a, speaking of De Palma, it almost feel like, it feels like a split some sort of special effect type of thing just with the quote unquote rain on the right hand side and him on the left hand side looking at himself in the mirror.
0: Yeah. Uh, like when it comes to, like this, like the depiction of sexual assault in Amelior in general, especially the early ones. It feels like because <clears throat> the early ones are just like what if a John Waters movie from the seventies had five thousand more dollars, right? So it yeah. so it looked a little bit better, <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like because of the because he's playing with like that John Watersy type of tone, it. It, it has like it, the gravity is still there but it doesn't feel like but I feel like there, there, he's no uh i'm careful i say he's fully aware of what he's doing but at the same time the gravity is still there but he but it's handled in a way because of the tone because of the the production level because of like what the plot is it's doesn't feel as like, at least to me doesn't feel like gross or inappropriate to, to me I don't want to clarify just as my opinion but uh it's just kind of, but it's also a thing like I've seen uh, enough like kind of like trasher movies like of this like of like the early El Motivar genre type stuff where it's like I'm just kind of used to it and I just know to expect it mm-hmm. at the same hey. time
1: I can't even imagine if you were to do a count of movies from the '70s and '80s where rape was a motivating factor or just yeah. happened in a movie.
2: Yeah, and you know, as much as I love you know action movies of this era, oftentimes sexual assault was an excuse to have the bad guy tear off a woman's top, right? Just so then the good guy could come and, and kill that bad guy, and certainly. The assaults in this movie are not meant for titillation for the audience, at, at least.
0: No, it, it's, it's not Death Wish two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know because I, I I see some review current reviews of like the older emotive Fours where people are very harsh on like <clears throat> just like the how extreme and absurd things can get and how there's like this uh, like treating serious things like sexual assault kind of lightly but i don't want it to be like uh, uh, it's okay to portray like art is art is there to portray what happens in life and the thing is like this shit happens in real life at the same time like and i, I don't think like you shouldn't be allowed to portray anything within a certain context because if you presents the right context for something it can be acceptable and and as acceptable
1: as it needs to be. Mhm.
2: And I feel like I don't know. Um, A like the, the context he he portrays, you know, these transgressive images. It's like complete lunacy. Like there's no, no context for. Uh, uh like a parallel in in reality so it's he's creating his own universes in in these movies where it seems like um it it resembles our reality but like the rules and and the physics are different and so we're sort of we have to reevaluate our own values when we're we're seeing these things and sort of have to like check ourselves as we're judging these characters.
1: For me, it feels like he's playing in melodrama. I mean, Mm -hmm. melodrama always feels like real life, but just pitched up, you know, 20 times. So everything's bigger and the reactions are bigger. I mean, it's almost telenovela as far as the reaction goes. um, Reactions go, I should say, in some of the melodramas. And so even with the absurdity of things, it just kind of feels like he's... Kind of amping it up even more, you know, almost like the uh, the Kuchar brothers, or just the, some of these films where they will play it so big. I mean, think about uh, going back to John Waters' Desperate Living. And when <laughs> Mink Stoll is having her breakdown, that's just so absurd and so big, but it's wonderful and it's hilarious because it is so big. I mean, tell your mother I hate her, you know, these kind of things. It just, I hate the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's so great, you know, and it feels kind of like that when it comes to, at least my experience with uh, his films feels like he's going above and beyond with uh, the
2: melodrama. And, you know, the the characters go see Duel in the Sun, a King Vidor movie. Yes. And I think you if you were to describe this period of of El Moldavar as John Waters meets King Vidor, I think that would be a pretty
1: good approximation of, of what he's doing. I totally agree. And I love that the end of Duel in the Sun then mirrors uh, or gets mirrored in Matador later yep. on. And I do appreciate, too, that... You know, matadors literally have duels in the sun with bulls. And that they're playing upon the, you know, m- m- Matar to kill, that the the matador is a killer. But in here, the matador is a killer, not just of bulls, but of people as well. Yeah, and there is this, like,
2: real strange obsession with bullfighting among a certain kind of male. Oh, Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so you know famously Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um by Bedeker And 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 so there's you know, like like what is it about this like ritualized killing. What do you, what, what do you say extro- trying
0: Knoxville too?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> the whole jackass crew. Yes. Um, so, so what is it about this ritualized killing of this magnificent animal that attracts certain people? Like, what is this filling in their lives? Like, what is the empty place that they need blood to wash away, you know? And so I think this movie just pushes that, like, masculine urge further, you know, if if somebody who needed bullfighting to, to survive had that taken away from them suddenly what would then they would be what would they be forced to do to fill that void and for diego it's you know actual murder right
1: i mean bullfighting and machismo just seem to go hand in hand to me yep. this whole idea, this need to kill and to prove what a man you are. I mean, maybe it's just that I love the Ricardo Montalban episode of, uh, Columbo so much. And it's all about how he's not quite a man anymore. And especially our main character in here with Diego, that he was injured. So is he maybe injured in other ways? Obviously mentally he's, he's injured, but, is his equipment working the way that he limps around it's like well is everything going to be okay when he does end up having sex or does he only get off on necrophilia and watching deaths i mean it feels like a a a mixtape that he's watching when it comes to the uh blood and black lace like i think it's
0: bloody moon also oh okay Um, because there's a there's a head cutting scene where Oh, right. Bava I didn't think
1: that ever. looked like Bava stuff. Yeah, it looks so shoddy. I was like, really? That's Mario Bava? I can't get that.
0: Yeah, I think it's like a later Just Franco. Oh, okay. Um, Started to lose money era.
2: That makes more
1: much more sense. I mean, like...
2: Inter- interesting juxtaposition of Bava with like, second tier Jess Franco. Ugh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I am a Francophile until a point.
1: Yeah, I I finally, I just watched, um, uh, oh, what's the, A Virgin Among the Living Dead, the original Mm. version of it, before people started tinkering with it, and that was one of the best times I've had in a long time watching that Mm. movie. So, yeah, I can definitely respect some Franco.
0: Yeah, just, like, when you get past, like, the mid-70s, I don't really like it anymore. Mm. (laughs) At least that's that's my cough point. But, uh, yeah, but, like, going off of that whole machismo thing, like... Like Also, I think this movie is this, like, uh, over, just like looking at like machismo, masculinity, and being like, this is all fucking stupid.
1: Yeah. Well, it must have been so tough for him as a gay man in Spain, just putting up with all the machismo and all of these things. It must have been very, very difficult. It has to be difficult for anybody who doesn't adhere to those tenets of society.
0: Because, like... Uh, Cause I remember Cat and Sam talking about uh, talking about this, talking about cat like was married to a Spaniard at some point, or mm-hmm. maybe she had a kid. I can't remember her what she said, but um, uh, like uh, there was a huge culture shift after Franco died when women could be uh, had like more rights and could do things, and before that it was like this super machismo you had to ask your husband or your brother or your father for for like permission for permission to do like basically Mm. anything and this movie is like a reflection of uh spain society like post franco trying to be like okay well where where are we now franco's been dead for a while i think it's been i think it was 10 years after franco's death i think you're right yeah And just kind of, like, looking at, like, because Franco was real tight with the the Pope and the Vatican also. And this whole being, like, well, like, the parents are clearly stuck in that mindset, like, the moms. And the kids are, like, trying to, like, deal, like, deal with, like, uh, deal with the parents who haven't quite moved on from, you know, decades of fascism. Mm
2: Mm-hmm yeah I mean you know you mentioned earlier about the moment when um Diego asks angel you know are are you do you like guys and he reacts violently, you know but he's he's so enthralled by Diego, who is killing human beings right, so he it's more transgressive for him to be homosexual than to be a murderer,
1: and yeah, that's the like masculinity environment we're, we're dealing with in this film One, well, there's the irony that he that angel is confessing to the murders that both diego and why do i keep forgetting the the maria. woman killer maria what diego and maria have been up to and mm-hmm. and there's angel confessing to all these crimes and doing that confessing rather than doing the confessing at church
0: yeah, cause you get that great cut of his mom saying like "Go con, go conf- uh, go confess," right? And then you get the cut to the police station, <laughs> <laughs> and you get the and like a little like a joke that is deeply fucked up that I love every time is when he talks to the woman at the police station. He says, "I raped a woman," and she says, "She's so lucky."
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That woman in the police station, she seems very familiar. I was trying to figure out what that actress's name was because I swear I've seen her in other things.
0: She might be in some other ones, since in earlier ones, but I couldn't I can't place her.
1: She almost looked like somebody that was in um, um, uh, Arabato, oh. but I know it wasn't her.
0: Yeah, Arapato has Cecilia Roth. And I don't... Cecilia Roth was not in this one. No, no. But uh, Alaska's in that one, too. And she was in um, uh, Pepe, Luce, and Boom. Mm. And uh, this Alaska the, the uh, Spanish like pop singer, not Alaska the drag queen, in case you right. wondering.
1: Right,
2: right. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of our players, uh, Carmen mm-hmm. Mora shows up as julia like about halfway through the movie without any explanation and she seems to be like angel's caseworker i guess yeah who wants Uh, to
0: fuck him so bad yeah it's just
2: like cradling him like like uh angel's a child and then just ends up kissing him (laughs) while he's like unconscious
0: in front of his mom and no one seems to care (laughs)
1: i've got a question about her because at one point right towards the end of the movie she shows up again with him and they make some remark and she says oh i changed my hair it almost felt like we're doing reshoots or something did you guys catch that
0: yeah that was Uh, weird i didn't think much of it But but, but but she's introduced this like as if she was there the entire time. Yeah. But also right, I think, right. But she but she'd been in like I think almost everyone prior to this. So like maybe it's like a meta joke of like of like uh, she's just here now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean uh, it's very possible that she was in that there was a scene that a just cut that introduced her. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 better if it's confusing as to where she came from. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah.
0: And uh, like I always like gush about how much I love like the most of our like actresses, but I fucking love True Slimpreve so much. She is just so funny. She is uh, Eva's mom.
1: Oh, she's great. Yeah.
0: And uh, in, in the early ones, she always plays like some like like passive aggressive, kind of irritating like middle aged woman that like everyone kind of passes over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But like it's a in here, she's just so. She's so funny in, in the police station part, where she's like, "He ejaculated," and then she it says, "He ejaculated," yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's like <laughs> embarrassing parent moment. Yeah,
2: right. I, I think my, my favorite joke with her is when they're in the um, at the fashion show and she's with Eva backstage, <laughs> and she right before she leaves, she says, "Oh, there's too much genius here." I have to leave. Like you, just so fed up with like the pretension of, of this, this fashion world. <laughs> and then, of course, I also love when she goes out onto the stage. She has to do a catwalk <laughs> before she makes it to her seat. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: And I didn't notice. And I didn't notice until this time that uh, the the uh, a uh, Pedro cameo. He takes her sandwich and takes a bite at one point, <laughs> <laughs> and gives it back to her. <laughs> yeah, and uh yeah, K- Carmen is always great. Uh, yeah, like she has a real, and, and I just mean this. And like this might sound like an insult to some, but like she has a real like character actor face. Mm-hmm. It's just like super distinctive. Like if she showed up in a Coen Brothers movie at some point, it'd be like, yeah,
1: of course. She has like this like a super distinctive like face. Yeah, I can see that definitely. Yeah, and she's somebody that I've seen show up in other director's movies as well and they don't know how to use her quite like uh Almodovar, but she uh yeah, she always makes an impression.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh okay, uh, another uh recurring actress is the, the flower lady towards the end, uh BB Anderson. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. She's in Keek, not not key, uh, High heels. She's a one of prisoners. Um, uh, she always sticks out because she's noticeably like, uh, like as taller as tall or taller than a lot of the men in the
1: movies. Well, is she a cis woman?
0: I, I honestly do not know. I just because know she's been in a couple of
1: these. If I'm thinking of the same person that you're thinking of. It, I was just like, oh, a drag queen. Yeah, that's that's definitely what I thought.
2: I think because she has a pretty deep voice as well, so I, I thought that that's what we were
1: hmm. even yeah. trying to think. Kind of reminded me, sorry to keep going back to Balto, but I'm a big fan of that movie, because uh, Almodovar has a cameo in that. He's voicing a woman, so it makes it seem like the woman is actually a drag queen.
0: Oh. Uh in 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 high heels like you see her like maybe she's trans i don't really know but uh but she but she's in a women's prison in that one and like kind of like uh, i think she's a, a a a sex worker in that one so you see her like dressed uh, Dressed like that, so like you see more skin and less covered up. Uh, maybe she is trans. Who
2: knows? I'm not really sure. Yeah, we're we're three cis men. It's, <laughs> yeah, right, right.
1: Well, I was so confused no, was when like, she came up, uh, BB Anderson, because I was just like, the woman from all of the uh, uh Bergman films. That's mm-hmm. who's in this, and I was like, oh no, spelled different. Okay, I spelled different.
0: She has a a Spanish she name that I I learned Spanish from Duolingo, but I. I'm not too comfortable pronouncing too much of it on a recording still.
1: Oh, according to uh, IMDb, it says one of the very few transsexuals who made the transition into legitimate acting.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. That's a patronizing way to say it, IMDb, but okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yeah. Hmm. (laughs) It is, but...
0: Yeah. But, uh... uh, Okay, so, uh... Okay, oh, I think I found another line. Uh, another, another choose line. Um, when she's at the fashion show, and she's with Diego, and Diego sees Maria. She says about Maria, she's a bit slutty, but still pretty.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, so, um... Uh, I, I guess, like, one thing I'm, I'm curious about is... This time through, I felt... My, my memory is always there is more Eva and angel in the middle, but, uh, I was surprised because it'd been a little bit that, uh, pretty much the beginning and end are angel Eva heavy. And then the big middle chunk is like pretty much just, uh, Diego and Maria. Mm-hmm. And to me, the ratio, like the ratio of who gets, how much, whose storyline gets more airtime. Like to me felt slightly off. Like I, I, I wanted... Personally, I wanted more Eva and Angel stuff. But, uh... I was wondering about you guys. Like, did, did the, um... Like, did... Did it feel like you didn't get enough of any... Of anyone? Or uh, or anything?
2: Um, yeah. I, I think... Um... I kind of did... Want to know more about Eva. Just because she's so obsessed with Diego.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And... You know, like, I, I get the dynamic of, like, he's an older, charismatic, dashing man, but I he's, you know, very dismissive and cruel to her, and I didn't really understand why she was so preoccupied
1: and in, in love with him, so I think I would have liked to have explored her more. I can totally see that. Yeah, Ava was going to be the person I chose as well, and... You said it just a lot better than I did.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like, I also would have liked the uh, more of the mushroom picker guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really wanted a little bit of payoff to that story where he doesn't listen to Angel and ends up dying, but maybe that's just me.
0: Yeah. And uh, like, uh, like something that works for me in this movie is. Um, I haven't talked about too much on, on recording cause, uh, I'm about to diss a movie that is very beloved, but for me, like Catholicism in movies, cause I went to Catholic school for 10 years of my life. Uh, I just don't want to watch movies where like Catholicism is treated as like real or mm-hmm. and, or, um, like, uh, essential to this. To, or it's like central to like the plot or anything mm-hmm. I like it more the way El motivar and like Pasolini treat it where it's like it's just kind of a part of the culture that you can't escape and like they're examining it uh, you know to various degrees and like uh, Boonewell does that too with like the Milky Way it's like there's a big examination of isn't Catholic history kind of weird it's like yeah it is It's very weird <laughs> <laughs> But like so, like a move like The Exorcist doesn't work for me. Has never worked for me because like I'm just like it. it it's like because it's just Catholic propaganda. Uh, not not so subtly, until so that for me makes it not work. But like when it's treated more naturally and casually, and it's treated more like this is just kind of like a thing that is in the culture that is like a weird part of the culture that we're gonna look at. Like that for me is how how it works.
2: Yeah, I've you know I, I hey I just did a podcast about The Exorcist uh, um for film eighty nine yeah I, I've always like had like the reason why I keep going back to to The Exorcist in particular is that I don't I keep changing my mind on its stance of Catholicism because it ends with two dead priests uh, and like it's it's silly. That that these that you know, the guy who that you know in nineteen seventy one when all these you know hit movies what was motivating Hollywood was like anti-authoritarianism and and new voices in in art and here's this like massive like worldwide hit about like the oldest stodgiest institution on the planet saving the life of a little girl. Hmm um but the fact that like humanity connected with it so hard you know it just makes the movie itself more fascinating and um but i also totally understand not being able to to take it seriously because it's like yeah the the catholics are right this is how you yeah. defeat evil
0: Mm. Like, like religious horror, like that, for me, like, if it's, like, Catholic, I'm like, I can't watch this, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like, I went to Catholic school for ten years, I, I, I'm I fully aware.
2: <laughs> What's your opinion on something like, uh, like, Saint Maud?
0: I saw the title, I saw the trailer, and I was like, this will probably make me mad, so I don't want to okay. watch this.
2: I, th- I think it, it's made by somebody who was mad at the Exorcist, I think. So you might... I, I, I don't know. Okay. I, mean, um, I, I love
0: it, Exorcist 2 Heretic. That's... Like, uh, Borman in the 70s is, like, my guy.
2: Wow. <laughs> I like Exorcist 3 a lot.
0: I tried too much Priest hanging out in the beginning, like, nah, I can't. I can't deal with this. This is just too... It's like the original, so no. Okay. I mean, yeah. uh Borman hated the book, and I don't think he liked the first movie either, because he, 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 he called the book he called the book child torture. Mm-hmm. And so he and so he turned down the the he co-directed the first movie, and he was like, "Fuck no, I don't want to do that," because Borman is is insane. <laughs>
2: yeah, But he, man, Zardoz, what a mm-hmm. time! Hell yeah!
1: Yeah
0: it's <clears throat> still alive thankfully yeah Although i think it's weird in uh which one is it um uh the excalibur his daughter is is nude in the beginning and to me it's like having your child nude in, in your own movies to it's very into like Argento territory, and it's like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as um, that uh, tor- is it what, tournament? What's that one called? The one where Osio is like sixteen. And that was like, uh, gross. I don't. What? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> anyway, uh, people listening probably know the uh, the one I'm talking about.
1: They're probably screaming it at their radios right now.
0: Yeah, uh. Yes, uh, what else would I be doing too? Um. Okay, uh, so, uh, it, it was brought up earlier that, uh, like, Angel is, uh, uh John, you said it's sexually confused. And to me, like, I just, he just reads as, like, possibly, like, this is, a, like, uh, armchair psychologist, so, like, I might be wrong, but, like, he just reads pro- as, like, kind of, like,. N- Gen- like non-binary slash queer, where it's like, uh, it's like you know like, like the, like the traditional roles don't work for him, mm-hmm. and um, just like it's it's really solidified with the whole psych- psychic powers part because a, uh, 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 the oblique magazine had an article like five six years ago about psychic powers and slashers in the eighties and thing about psychic powers is it's usually women who, who have those powers in stories. And you also look at, like, X-Men, Jean Grey, one of the most powerful you know, Marvel characters, is a woman with psychic powers. And it's just kind of like traditionally a more feminine um, trait to, uh, like, power, trait to give a character.
2: Uh, so here's um, something that I learned. Um, if, if you're interested in the the topic of how religion manifests in society Um, Religion for Breakfast is a great YouTube channel but they had um, a discussion about shamanistic religions in societies around the world and for um, like egalitarian pre-industrial societies uh, shamanistic practices are typically done by men and are not um, like tantric or um like, they don't enter another state of consciousness. But in mm. industrialized, um, stratified societies, uh, shamanistic practices are done predominantly by women and result in what is supposed to be demonic possession. Mm. Um, so, and that's because in stratified societies, societal stratification is so traumatic. The day to day stress of trying to, you know, not starve to death causes a like break from our spiritual selves that we have to believe that in order to contact the spirit world we need to be in another state of consciousness. Um so all right we're getting into like deep psychological <laughs> uh, theory mm-hmm. here. Um but but I think so if we're putting so I think what you're saying Spencer is like exactly correct that that this visionary role would typically be put upon a woman, Um, but I think because we're sort of um, breaking boundaries with this character, those visions are um, put on, you know, angel. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) that's the kind of weird shit.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. You get when you invite me on a podcast,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, uh, Mike. Do you have any thoughts on 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 this?
1: No, because as soon as you started talking about female psychics, I started thinking about male psychics. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh well, there's this one, and this one. I'm thinking of okay. like um, uh, Richard Burton and mm-hmm. uh, what was that, the Medusa touch? Because yeah. most of the people. I will agree with you that this is a very passive psychic ability as far mm-hmm. as him just being a receiver and he can't really control the visions as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And he has that real big freak out near the middle of the film where it feels like scenes from the movie plus maybe things that Almodovar had shot before and just kind of used as outtakes like a soldier shooting himself in the head. It's like where is this mm-hmm. coming from? Um, but yeah, he's a receiver of things um, as opposed to like Richard Burton, or, gosh, there was a '68 movie just called "The Psychic." You know, the power to uh, bend—what uh, was it—the power to bend men's minds and seduce their women. So much more of an aggressive psychic. Um, these male psychics that I keep thinking of.
2: And hey, you, Spencer, you you mentioned mm-hmm. Jean Gray. Then there's also mm-hmm. the counterpoint of Professor X.
0: Yeah, yeah, true.
1: Exactly. Uh, Though I think right. she well, Dark Phoenix could definitely win in a fight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh um the the Diablo Diablo Lake piece used uh the Friday thirteenth, the Carrie knockoff they had and the uh Jamie from Halloween series. I don't I've never seen I've barely seen any Halloween movies. Uh, the one from the 80s sequels who has, like, psychic powers. Yeah. And I think they used another... Someone from the Freddy series, a woman with psychic powers. There's, like, passive yeah. psychic powers to, like... It's, like, kind of a a, a horror-slash-thriller trope of, like, this type of character can, like, you know, see in other people's uh, visions or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you start talking about having visions, so what also... I was reminded of was um, was it Simon yeah, from Lord of the Flies uh, the uh, the kid that had the epileptic fits and people that had epilepsy were said to have, be able to have visions and i if memory serves he actually did have visions in the book but it's been a long time.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but I well I that but also I think there's a at some point. Someone who was it? Someone asked the detective. I think he's given a name at some point, but I don't remember if he's actually given a name. Um, but like uh, he says, like someone says, like what? What is Angel? And he says, like well, he's different, and it's just kind of left man. at that. And it's like I don't know. Like he's just he he's not straight, not gay, just something else, and. Uh, like tying it to, to the masculinity angle of everything, like he's forcing himself to be like, "Well, I'm a man. I'm I'm a Catholic man, so I have to be a real man," because like all the damage his mom put him through.
2: Mm-hmm. And I mean, the only reason he assaults Eva is because she's Diego's girlfriend, right? Like that's the only reason he's attracted to her, even if if he is attracted to her at all.
0: Yeah, because like. This is like this is a, a stupid thing to point out, but the poster in his room of the windsurfing, and you there's like these like hunky dudes with blonde hair with like uh, a rainbow on their wind sails, <laughs> and it's just like I, I remember we were don't be we reductive, but it's like one of the gayest posters I've seen in a movie <laughs> in a while, <laughs> and it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like maybe his mom is so so harsh on him because he's, you know, quote, unquote, not a man. And so he has to, you know, because uh, I, I don't think you ever hear what happened to your dad. You just always hear like, your father was like this, God rest his soul. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's about it.
1: Right.
2: And there's that moment when somebody asks him, um, like, ha- do you ever watch movies? And he says, no, my family's very religious.
0: <laughs> right. Um,
2: all I do is, like, exercise and pray. Right. And so he he doesn't even have a cultural context to know what, like, a gay poster would be. Right, he true. He just has yeah. his, his own taste to, to to go from. And so, like, he he's so adrift as to, like, what he's um, supposed to be as a man. All he has are, you know, his... Domineering mother and this murdering matador as his role models.
0: Yeah, but he gets a new mommy figure with Carmen Maura, yeah, although right. she I guess. is kind of yeah. like a a sex mommy figure, <laughs> more or less.
2: Yeah, ha, yeah let, the, the most Freudian. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: yeah and I love the line at the end where she's like, "No one could save them," and every time like what the fuck are you talking about? What does that mean? What? How do you know this?
1: Well, I, the whole thing of the psychic and talking about the eclipse and then that the climax of the film takes place during the eclipse, I mean... Again, talk about just amping things up so much. It's not just we're going to this house to capture the killers type of thing. Now it becomes we're going to this house and the sun's being blotted out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, like at the end of a falsy movie almost.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and when the colors start changing too, I was just like, whoa, what is happening here? This is great.
0: Uh, and like my, so my favorite thing about the end is the the uh, the detective, basically the detective as the movie goes on, and he's because he feels like a character out of like a out out like the real world almost, and then he ha- he's dealing with all these people in the middle of a telenovela, and as the movie goes on, he gets more fed up and irritated with all the, like the telenovela drama going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the car ride at the end. He he, he has this vibe of like oh my god, I hope they're right this time. I'm tired of all this drama. (laughs) Because he seems so exhausted to be around all these people by the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's those twists and turns all based upon... I mean, it's interesting that they have at least two scenes of somebody overhearing somebody else's conversation, which, again, feels very telenovela. But the first one, it's him listening, and the second one, it's Ava... And yeah, it's almost like, are we, we have to do this twice in this movie? Yeah. We, could, we haven't uh, used these tropes enough.
0: Yeah. And this, uh, I don't, when I think about like that type of character, I don't think, I can't think of another time he in, injected like a, like a more like normal real life character into like the melodrama for the, to like, as a, as like a foil or like something as like a joke. Because his character, by the end, this feels like a joke on, like, what if you weren't in a telenovela and you weren't in on all, all the drama and you had to deal with everything? <laughs> but, uh, uh, the one before this, What Have I Done to Deserve This, also has a psychic character where the psychic powers kind of don't amount to anything that big. It just amounts to, like, one scene in that one in that movie and that's about it
1: and uh, i guess it's like you were saying as far as him trying things and then coming back to them
0: oh yeah uh, let's see. uh i think i think that's everything uh that's, that's a thing for me um uh, i i love matador it's not my favorite one my favorite one is dark habits as uh arminio is aware Mm-hmm. yeah but matador is like a tr- it feels like a, a, a transitional one this is like him being like i'm still z- zany and like john waters but i'm a little bit more mature now and it feels like a step into because like this is before um law of desire and then win on the verge and those are like i think those uh, Women on the Verge in particular is like the first one where it's uh he's like quote unquote a mature filmmaker that like people can take seriously. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm saying from a perspective like the like the Academy Awards because that's when they not he got his first nomination for that one for Women on the Verge. And, like, and that's like the first step into like growing going out of like the uh like John Waters phase of his career.
2: It is interesting how, you know, for some directors you do trash long enough and you become a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so like for John Waters or John Carpenter on our like they they be they started their career on the outskirts and they and eventually the mainstream found them.
0: Oh yeah. And uh yeah, so Matador is available. I th- it's one of the three three two? it has a Criterion release mm. uh wait it's all about my mother yeah all my mother women on verge matador are only three so far that have re- Criterion releases but uh yeah and it also it's available everywhere it's on movie and and stuff uh I think it's a good one to start with if you if you're unsure about a motorvar uh yeah yeah i'd say like this is one to start with or women on the verge as it's like are do you like zany melodrama telenovela nonsense and like lots of sex and uh silly intrigue then these are for you if you don't uh don't go any deeper because like there's nothing for you
1: (laughs) that's a good warning
0: (laughs) yeah uh also, I think it's also worth watching. It's also worth watching just for Baby Banderas. <laughs> this is Sam, like, before Hollywood, before, like, he's evolved into, like, you know, Hollywood hunk form, and he's just yeah. kind of, like, this young, beautiful man who's, like, always playing guys who are dominated by women. Anyway, um, yeah, that's. It. Would you two recommend this movie?
1: Oh, I definitely would. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching this. Yeah, I definitely would, especially if you've
2: enjoyed other Moldavar films um, that that you had seen. Um, I I think if I were to recommend the first one, I think I would say, yeah, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, If you're a part of that weird Twitter posse that says all sex scenes in movies should be eliminated, you probably don't want to see this movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) But then... I also
0: like, don't know what your deal is in general. Yeah. But <laughs> oh, uh, I, forgot, I forgot to mention Julieta uh, Serrano. Serrano? Hey, where is it? The Serrano. She is the um, the uh, Mother Superior in uh, Dork Habits. She's a domineering mom to Banderas in this one. And she's in then in Women on the Verge she plays another domin dominating mom to Banderas. <laughs> and she's the mom in um uh Pain and Glory playing uh the version of his mom. Yeah. She she always plays like the like the main mother figure if she's <laughs> in the movie pretty much.
1: She does a good job of it. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: All right, so this is 1986. I have uh three, but you guys can go first.
2: Okay. Oh, uh, real quick, I think I I said mm. like uh, as far as the scope of Banderas's career from this mm. too strange way of life, but I meant Pain and Glory. <laughs> strange way I, of life I, is e- Ethan Hawke and uh,
0: Pedro Pascal. Y-
2: yeah. Uh, my bad. Sorry.
0: Eh, it's fine. Although I feel like if if Adam Dearest made a movie, it'd be too it'd be too sexy.
2: Oh yeah. Um. All right. So my um. My two uh 1986 picks. Um. I recently had the opportunity to see the uh, 4K remaster of Stop Making Sense. So I'm going to pick the other. Uh, talking heads movie, uh, True Stories, which is about, well, David Byrne basically uh, narrating small stories about a Midwestern town um, uh, and the sort of trials and travails of this place trying to get up to date in the modern age. And there's some great musical sequences. It's one of Judd Goodman's First movie so um it's quirky and fun and if you like the talking heads and haven't seen it uh, highly recommended um david byrne talking to you in a cowboy hat it's hard to beat and the other one is um when i i think i just discovered looking for 1986 movies for this podcast uh, but that a lot of other cinephiles have seen um Dead Man's Letters, directed by Konstantin mm. Uh It's one of the grimmest oh, yeah, it is. movies I've ever seen. Uh, it takes place in post-nuclear war Soviet Union, where various caretakers of a museum are basically trying in vain to find Reasons to, s- to still exist as, like, their wives and children die of radiation poisoning around them. And in order to even, like, you know, see, they have to, like, pedal bikes to operate their, their dimming light bulbs. Um, a-, a real grim portent of what the aftermath of a nuclear war would be. Uh, so if you have 80 minutes and want to get real fucking sad, <laughs> uh, Dead Man's Letters...
0: It sounds like my kind of
2: movie. Hell yeah. It's it's also oh, boy, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's, it's gorgeous. Like, the, the the cinematography set design and the way it uses color, um, it looks like no other movie.
0: It sounds like, um, fuck, what's the movie called? Uh, uh, uh fuck, what is it? It's that Soviet destruction movie from a couple of years ago. It's, the, it's driving me nuts. Never mind. I can't can't remember what I'm trying to think of.
1: All right. So, I'm going a little lighter. Um I, I'm going with two movies that I can and have watched a lot. Uh John Woo's A Better Tomorrow, the which really set his whole career uh flame after that with uh the whole heroic bloodshed um film series that he was doing um and then the other one that i've seen a ton from 86 that i would watch in a heartbeat is uh, the fly just nice. i think yeah. that might have been my first cronenberg and your first love yeah always stays with you hard to be a god is what i'm trying to think of oh there you oh, go oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i can see some um similarities but as far as the tone but yeah definitely the shooting style is very different mm,
0: okay for sure. it, does it does it also feel like it's like they're walking in shit and mud the whole time
1: no, no. no it's more detritus yeah oh Especially a lot of papers of memory serves. It's been a while since I've seen. It. I, I think I watched it for the first time, um, March twenty twenty, and um, I couldn't have picked a worse film to watch oh, right wow. then as yeah. the pandemic was starting. Yeah, yeah there's uh, some of the outdoor scenes. The main
2: character is walking through like dead bodies. Right. The, there's no excrement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there's not even enough material to produce. Waste anymore, mm-hmm. even in the gotcha. human body. We're so deprived.
0: All right, uh, all right. So, mine are first, Deadly Friend, the Wes Craven movie. It's nice. one everyone forgets about. It has some amazingly silly deaths in it. It's, uh, uh I don't remember much of the plot outside of a certain kill with a basketball, that is <laughs> fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. and you can't like you can't be prepared for just how silly and stupid this movie gets but uh it's my kind of like uh i don't add into horror as i used to be but like if it's absurdly stupid to this level uh, i have to like it but uh, okay my other one is other two are hong kong action movies one is royal warriors oh nice is in the line of duty two i think Officially, I think in two or, th- no, it's two because three is, three is the next year, but it's the one with, I think it's Harry, Hiroyuki Suzuki and, um, he's Scorpion in a new world combat movie. He's basically like the, uh, the, uh, the older, a uh, Japanese action guy that Hollywood like likes to get because like he seems mm-hmm. to work well mm-hmm. with Hollywood right now.
1: I think he showed up in the last John Wick. Yeah.
0: Uh yes. Yeah, that was the best uh, fight in the whole movie. Was a mm-hmm. uh, Haruki, Har- Haruki Sonada, and uh, yeah, he was he's young and royal young in royal warriors, but he is part of like the um, uh, sanichiba I forgot what the club was called, but it's basically this club of actors that he was trained to be action stars and sonata was a part of that group of people along with like uh etsuki uh what's her last name and there was that woman there who was in his sister street fighter movies that was also mm-hmm. in that group and she she did a lot of action movies and then she got married and had kids and stopped acting sadly but uh yeah world warriors and uh, which is literally awesome And then one that is some people think is bad I think it's a lot of goofy fun is the magic crystal it's on YouTube in full it's what if you mixed E.T. family comedy with a Hong Kong action movie Mm. and uh yeah it's Cynthia Rothrock and the the big muscle guy I think Richard I'm trying to remember his name now what's it uh, he's in China O'Brien with her.
1: Oh, that I don't know.
0: Who's that big muscle guy? Uh,
2: Richard Norton?
0: Yes, him. Uh, anyway, so Magic Crystal is a magic crystal that talks to certain that has like magic powers and is not what it seems to be and Richard Norton is I think a Soviet guy or something. The plot is really silly and Uh, if you don't like the type of comedy '80s Hong Kong did, you'll hate this movie. But I find it delightful and legitimately very funny, so it totally worked for me. And you get Cynthia Rothrock, Mm -hmm. uh, actually, you know, being allowed to do awesome stuff before she came to America, and they kind of were like, "Oh, you're a woman. We'll pair you with a very mediocre man who has no charisma."
1: (laughs) I uh. Just I'm downloading it
0: right now. Uh, and it yeah, also it's a Hong Kong '80s action movie, so there's a, a sexual assault or attempted assault in it, because mm. they sure love that joke. Oh
1: yeah, oh
0: yeah. And it's never it's never funny when they do it in Hong Kong. It's not even please, I, not even please story. It's it's funny. It's like this, yep, yep, okay. It's not funny. I don't need this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, speaking of Hong Kong, I almost went with Mr. Vampire 2, but mm. yeah, I think I prefer 1 or 3, but that wasn't the 86.
0: Yeah. That so that's all mine. And like there's other stuff like Blue Velvet came out that year and oh, yes. other stuff and
1: Highlander, the the Transformers movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the best Orson Welles movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Night of the Creeps, Soldier Babies. <laughs> The Hitcher Manhunter The Wraith Yeah, some good stuff mm-hmm. yeah, Never too young to Mo- die with uh, Gene Simmons as the drag queen <laughs> I'm Ragnar
0: yeah, I, I worked at Movie Stop for a very brief time I'm, I'm bad at retail, so I didn't last long but I remember <laughs> a customer was very insistent on finding the Wraith And she described every plot point, all the actors. And I was like, we don't have it here. And she was like, no, you have it here. And it was like (laughs) a 10 minute exchange of hers trying to force me to like like magically manifest the the wraith.
1: (laughs) And you couldn't do that?
0: No, we we didn't have it in stock.
1: (laughs) What good are you?
0: Uh that's why well free how I learned I have social anxiety that is kind of uh pretty bad. And I shouldn't do something like re- should to re retail. Mm. <laughs> okay, so that's it for this episode, the uh Ar- Armenio, what you got do?
2: Um man, um so in the past eight days I've recorded podcasts on um, investigation of a citizen above suspicion, um, Andrej Tots crime wave, um, nice. The Exorcist, um, They Live, Modern Times, and now Matador.
1: Wow, um, you're all over the map. Holy
2: yeah yeah. So it's been uh, like kind kind of a, a mind fuck a little bit, but. I'm just so grateful to have met all these like really interesting smart people who are willing to talk to me about all sorts of different movies so it's been a real good time and I want to thank I want to thank you Spencer and Mm -hmm. and Mike for for talking to me about this movie and for anybody listening who hasn't turned off my ranting voice yet so it's been (laughs) um, it's been real great so thank you everybody um and so yeah you you you're, uh I am at quasar sniffer on various social medias um I have my own uh podcast where me and Scott Thoreau of zebras in America talk about spiritual and leftist ideas in film uh it's popcorn Eschaton. um it's a good time thank you
0: right, you're welcome and mr mike white you're uh, you're pretty busy
1: I'm usually pretty busy yeah very far behind on editing this year for whatever reason. Maybe because of the incredibly long Super Mario Brothers episode I put out or the um, Raider series that we decided to do and that was a little bit of a challenge to edit as well. But yeah, just creating podcasts over at ProjectionBoothPodcast.com and some other shows that I do. They're all available at So Love talking about 70s cop shows and Really bad horror anthologies, apparently.
0: And uh, if you haven't heard Production Booth, um, I highly recommend it. They cover everything, as like everything from water power, the porno from the seventies. That's kind of uh, like what if Travis Bickle was a guy who was forcing women to have enemas.
1: who hasn't asked that question of themselves
0: and from to stuff like um joysticks and fucking like children of men it's everything it's great it's awesome and i i've I've also been on there too but uh uh yeah like two three i can't remember time is weird now (laughs) time is weird all right, And uh, Arminio, you'll be back for something in the future. I don't know what yet.
2: I don't know what yet either, but I definitely will.
0: Oh, probably Milky Way, the Boonwell movie. Cause Hell yeah. The person I asked is bit, uh, too busy for okay. life shit right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's super Catholic, so yeah. it's. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I, I think you will like it. And Mike, you'll be back for... Um, a Hitchcock episode, and I think something else. I have to read the messages again. I can't remember.
1: Yes, definitely Hitchcock, and whatever else you want me for.
0: All right. Actually, yeah, when we're done recording, I'll mention something to you uh, All right. about an upcoming thing. And uh, that's it. And uh, thank you for listening. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jimetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T Theory. That is spelled G I M E T Z C O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.